0: On the surface, our day-to-day life can seem quite simple.
1: Things come easily to us. We need some groceries or even the latest tech gadget, and we can head to the store or online and buy it, with a few simple steps.
0: But behind that easy consumer experience is an increasingly complex world of interconnecting supply chains.
1: Just-in-time deliveries.
0: Logistic providers
1: water, gas, electricity
0: and other utility and service providers.
1: A complex and interdependent supply chain that may be vulnerable to just a single break in one tiny link.
0: In recent years, we've seen how climate change and disease can disrupt these complex systems. Climate change,
1: through flooding, wildfires, storms and other weather events,
0: now exposes more assets to risk. Lockdowns,
1: like those we lived through in the worst of the COVID years,
0: ...prevent commuter travel and goods deliveries.
1: Every link in these interwoven chains...
0: ...from the farms and factories producing the goods we want... ...to the homes and offices we work and live in...
1: ...every link is both at risk from climate change... ...and a contributor to it. One of the best places to see this cause and effect... ...is in the transport system. The unique part about
2: transportation infrastructure is that... it both contributes to climate change and is also affected by it. Road and air transport are considered to be major contributors to climate change, right? By some estimates, that's 23% of carbon emissions. But it is also vulnerable uh, because many facilities like roads and bus terminals are located in flood zones. For example, NJ Transit, New Jersey Transit Authority, lost around 120 million US dollars in damages to their buses after Hurricane Sandy. Tunnels. Tunnels are usually built below grid and they're prone to flooding, like how it happened during the New York MTA subway tunnels that experienced severe damage, again, due to flooding from Sandy. There are airports that are located at low elevations along the coastline areas and are at severe risk at sea level rise, rendering them non-functional. Building an airport and maintaining that infrastructure is a very costly endeavor. These are multi-billion dollar programs that are invested in, um, in order to operate, maintain those infrastructure. Extreme heat and freeze-thaw cycles cause buckling uh, pavement cracking and potholes that become
1: too expensive to fix and sustain. So how can the owners of these assets ensure that they are there when we need them?
2: I think the key word there is resilience. Resilience, in its most simplest definition, is the ability to resist and be ready against forces that are working to destabilise the function that you're expected to deliver.
3: Resilience as a term is really your ability to return to normal after a disaster. So how quickly after an event happens, be a heat event, a drought event, a flooding event, a hurricane, can you bring your people and your economic vitality back to its in a normal condition?
1: Welcome to Engineering Matters. I'm Johnny Dowling.
0: And I'm Rian
1: Owen. In this episode, in partnership with Atkins, a member of the SNC Lavalin Group, we're going to get to grips with how owners can understand their complex assets and how they can use the concept of resilience to make sure they balance the need to deliver services against the costs of their delivery.
0: In The Sun Also Rises, one of Hemingway's characters is asked about how we became bankrupt.
1: In two ways, the character explains gradually, and then suddenly.
0: In the first few weeks of Covid, the world changed like this. At first, some flights were stopped, then the first warnings came that lockdowns might be needed. And then, very quickly, everything went
1: down the toilet. Quite literally.
2: When the pandemic hit and there was a global lockdown, supply chains were affected, stores shut down. And something as basic as toilet paper. There was a huge shortage of toilet paper pretty much in every country.
0: This is Shiv Ayer. He's the technical director of Atkins' U.S. asset management business. He also was a member of the ISO technical committees on a national and international level that helped develop standards for the asset management sector.
2: And what people started doing then is using alternate substitutes for toilet paper to get through. And they would flush those toilet papers down the toilet. Guess what happened? Where does those objects land up? They go and clog your sewers. And clogging of sewers means your manholes are overflowing. There is a spill. When your sewer overflows and enters the water network, there are certain organizations or certain places where your water and sewer line runs very close to each other. So if the deterioration or the condition of these assets are not um, up to sniff, then you have the chance of contamination of your water supply.
1: Basic human needs ran up against a system that wasn't built to cope with a sudden influx of newspapers in place of aloe vera-infused quilted ply.
0: And just as much as these systems weren't designed for a sudden change in the materials flowing through them, so their maintenance and service systems weren't able to operate when workers were suddenly trapped in their homes.
2: At the same time, because of a COVID lockdown, you are short on staff, only you're working on a very thin, lean crew. So you have a double whammy here. You have fast escalating failures in your infrastructure. At the same time, you are handicapped by your ability to respond to them because of a natural of of a a pandemic that has um, affected availability of staff and resources. So you are quickly in a situation where failing infrastructure, lack of ability to react to it, and the general quality of life quotient for a community is starting to go down.
1: Events like this have a long tail, which then ripples through from one system to another. For utilities, which are often owned by or run on behalf of local authorities, a system failure can lead to a loss of funds, just when cash is most needed to fix those systems.
2: Things like COVID happen, immediately funding cuts happen, right, because Tax revenues go down, uh, businesses are not functioning, so they're not paying taxes. So the tax revenue is gone down. There are budget cuts. Budget cuts roll down into uh, not enough uh, funding available for infra to reinvest in the infrastructure portfolio. The condition of your infrastructure deteriorates because of lack of funding, lack of appropriate operations and maintenance, escalating the depreciation of your asset portfolio, right? Which means again, You're building up to a massive capital investment need at a time when pandemics are causing budget cuts and fundings. So that gap between needs and availability of budgets is just growing and growing and growing.
1: Donna Huey is the chief digital officer and senior vice president at Atkins in the U.S., As Donna and her team work to develop ways of assessing risks to assets, they can no longer base their assumptions on prior experience.
0: Instead, they must also consider how the world is changing.
3: One of the things we're learning in recent years is the impact of climate change has caused a great deal of unpredictability in weather patterns. More intense storms, which result in more flooding, or more intense heat or drought areas, which result in water scarcity. So from an asset management perspective, as we're designing or maintaining infrastructure, whether that be roads, water treatment facilities, or anything of the like, it's important, more important for us now than ever, to think about how the impact of climate change is going to put additional stresses on that infrastructure, and what are the things we can do to harden or sustain that infrastructure over a longer period of time in light of those stresses.
1: Like Shiv, Donna has seen how a failure of one asset can then ripple out, disrupting everything it comes into contact with, and often compounding the challenge of returning to normal.
3: It's not just a single... um, fault in the system you really have to think about the system of systems and the ability to um, move goods uh, the ability for that to be disrupted for any number of things so like we saw in COVID once you have a fault in one of the systems you do get that ripple effect that goes through the through the chain and it can go all the way to so let's play that back now outside of COVID so for example. In the Southwest U.S., we're facing water scarcity, and the single instance of issue or fall would be at the water levels going down below the intake pipes. For example, to provide a source of, of fresh water for the population, but that impact then ripples into well. If there's not enough water, then people won't want. To, then people will start to move away. Um, Then you have economic impact as well. So these ripple effects go beyond the physical conditions itself straight into the economy of a community or the bottom line of a business.
1: How then can asset owners even begin to start thinking about resilience? In a Rumsfeldian world, where the unknown unknowns can often be as numerous as the known unknowns, how can they create an asset management plan that ensures reliability without costs sprawling uncontrollably? The
0: first step is to understand what your asset is there to do.
1: There is
2: a whole aspect of demand analysis as a key uh, element of your asset management program is, is understanding demand. Obviously, those are done by the asset planners in an organisation that are constantly looking at, are our assets currently um, sized to meet the current demands?
1: They must then try to outline the risks they face. That takes a careful analysis of the likelihood of a failure on any component of the asset or of a disaster striking the asset and what the consequences of that failure might be.
2: Like any risk calculation, it is a forward-looking projection based on your understanding of the variables that are at hand in terms of the what is the probability of an event occurring in one year, in 10 years, in 50 years, in 100 years. That is the best estimate you're going to be able to project forward. And you project that based on modeling of past events
0: it's important to focus on those assets that will have to remain in place for the longest time.
2: The key here is going to be is you have to model these resilient strategies for your longest lived asset in your portfolio. And in most cases, it is going to be your pipes in the ground because your pipes are the ones that last 100 years, right? Compared to buildings and other infrastructure that are going to have a 50-year design life. So whenever you do your modeling, you're going to be looking at your asset portfolio and saying, which is the longest lived asset that I have in my portfolio? So all my prediction and projections of these risks have to factor a life of a 100 year life, for example. So what can I expect to happen in the next 100 years? Can I expect this particular event to happen in the next 10 years, in the next 50 years or in the next 100 years? So 100 years will have to be probably your upper threshold is like, what is the probability that something happens um, and my longest-lived asset is going to be affected by it? So if I have a very high probability of something happening in 60 years, that may not apply to, let's say, a centrifugal pump that I have in my wastewater treatment plant because the life of that pump itself is 20 years, for example. So that risk doesn't exist at this point.
1: Some components will have a design life that is well below the overall life of the asset, or much shorter than the expected gap between adverse weather events or disasters.
0: Owners need to plan for these components' replacement, but they do not need to consider whether they might be damaged in a hurricane.
1: The analysis can then move from an individual component to their interaction within the asset and to the interactions between assets.
3: One of the things that's important is that it's not just a single factor that needs to be evaluated when you look at that long-term resilience. So it's not just, example, the site and the long-term weather patterns. It's the conditions, the environmental conditions around the site. It could be the lifeline assets to and from the, the site. So that could be water. That could be other roads or other infrastructure um, because just because the site itself may, be, may prove to have long-term viability, you could have issues as well. Depending, like let's say that site is for a manufacturing facility, you need to be able to get your product and your goods moved to and from that facility. So you really need to look at a lot of different variables and a lot of different factors. And the more detail we can analyze when we look at these long-term simulations, the better.
0: It's often hard for asset owners to understand these complex interactions on their own. Instead, different asset owners and different external stakeholders must be included
3: you do need to bring a lot of people involved, uh, a lot of people into the mix. The, the more stakeholders you can convene, the more points of view you're going to receive and be able to build the detail into whatever simulation or forecasting model you're going to run so that at the end of the day, it actually is, is received um, by those stakeholders in a light that is defendable. So for one example of that collaboration and action is work we've recently done for North Carolina DOT, an extensive vulnerability study along a corridor. And they actually convened an 80-person technical advisory committee that stretched from um, divisions within their own organization to state resilience organizations to municipal planning organizations and even federal stakeholders so it is a collaborative process and I think it's really important when you go into long-term resilience studies that you, it's not done in a silo, that it, is, it starts with collaboration and that's a key aspect of success in the end.
1: Atkins has been developing some sophisticated tools to help them and their clients understand assets and their resilience.
0: But there's one particularly sharp tool that Shiv favours for cutting through the complexity of these interconnected systems. And it dates back to the 13th century, at least.
2: You know, Occam's razor, right? Usually the simplest explanation is probably the the best one. So all complexities, when broken down, are ultimately just a collection of very simple factors and variables that just come together in such a unique fashion that ...makes it more complex.
1: William of Ockham was a scholastic philosopher... ...one of a group of thinkers focused on religion... ...who used logical reasoning developed by Aristotle... ...a thousand years earlier. He made heavy use of the idea that one should not... ...needlessly multiply predicates... ...only considering those assumptions that are needed... ...to make an argument.
0: But even with Ockham's razor at hand... ...the predicates need to understand an asset... ...to have a tendency to multiply there's a lot of slicing to do.
2: The way that we think about helping our clients uh, is starting simple, is understanding what infrastructure do you own, right? Uh, Where is it? What is the condition of your infrastructure? How much life is left in your infrastructure? What is the replacement value of your infrastructure? What are the levels of services that you are expecting of your infrastructure? Which infrastructure is absolutely critical to deliver your levels of service that your regulators want you to and your customers expect you to deliver? What is your optimized operations and maintenance strategies across your asset portfolio in order to be able to meet those levels of service? What is your capital needs and your capital investment strategy in order to make sure that you have the assets uh, ad- available to deliver those levels of service? What's your funding strategy? Right? How are you going to fund your operations, your maintenance, your capital needs? And we help our clients answer these questions in a very methodical manner using an asset management framework or an asset management
1: uh, model. The mere process of slicing through the problem like this then brings the scope of complexity into view.
0: Shiv's asset management team and their clients can start to see the forest, not just the trees.
1: In
2: the process of answering these questions, you come across various aspects of all the complexities that we talked about, right? You know, your operations going down, your maintenance going down, Uh, negligence of capital infrastructure, lack of funds. So as you go about answering these questions, you are touching on each of these aspects.
1: That's the core of modern asset management, considering each component of an asset one step at a time in a methodical way to get a true understanding.
2: When you go in a methodical framework, it becomes a lot more easier to wrap your brains around how do I manage this massive infrastructure that I own, operate and maintain and still you know, do a good job and be the best steward of public's money. Asset management exists in order to make sense of the physical built infrastructure that we have, that us humans have created over hundreds and thousands of years around us.
0: That understanding of the asset's resilience allows asset management experts to begin to develop long-term plans.
2: If you understand what are the various forces that are working, whether natural or man-made, whatever maybe the you know the origin of those forces um, that are affecting to uh, you know destabilize and cripple the ability for the infrastructure to deliver its function then you're better prepared in order to how do you mitigate the likelihood of those forces being successful. And that is a strategy that is employed now within the asset management framework and program development schemes in terms of adopting resilience as a core principle in strategic asset management plans. So as organizations go through developing their what they what we call in the AM world as SAMP, ultimately it boils down to thinking about three things. It's about cost of service, level of service, and risk. So if you look at a sliding scale where you have at the top is your level of service at, and, and bottom is your cost of service, your cost of service is connected to level of service in the sense that your level of service, so whatever... Function or service your assets are offering, they're incurring a cost. You increase your level of service, your cost goes up. You decrease your level of service, your cost goes down.
1: For each asset, the asset managers, or AMs, now have a simple slider which they can use to balance the level and cost of service.
0: But the complexity doesn't end there.
1: Now, is it simple to
2: visualize when we're talking about an asset or two? But now just think about a fact that you have hundreds and thousands and hundreds and thousands and maybe millions of assets that you own, operate, and maintain as an organization. Each of these assets are of a different make, model, and and manufacturer, and also they deliver a different function. They have different varying lifecycle costs, interventions. Now, trying to assess the level of service of these assets and the cost of service and the hidden risk, right? That is built into the likelihood of failure of these assets, and what will happen if these assets fail, which is the consequence of failure as part of it.
1: The more threats an asset faces, the more likely an asset is to suffer a disaster, which now helps shape that assessment.
2: Risk is used as a lever is in order to determine, you know, what is the cost of service that we can afford, right? Given the level of service that we have fixed for our assets.
0: That analysis of risk will matter more and more as the known unknowns of climate change make an increasing impact.
2: It is an interplay between the level of service, cost of service and risk. And I think the way climate change can be adequately addressed within asset management programs is to understand that risk component, right? What is the risk from these climate change events to our asset infrastructure how will they impact levels of service how will they impact cost of service and using those levers to to to, you know to balance out uh, your resilient strategies
1: asset management experts can help owners throughout the life of an asset The sort of analytical tools Shiv uses can help both at the very earliest stages of planning and as owners consider new maintenance programmes for existing assets in the light of the changing risks posed by climate change.
3: It can be the design or the maintenance stage. So when we think about looking at resilience and asset management, it's both near term and long term. So what can we do temporarily? Maybe in our maintenance regimes, we are introducing a more water resilient material, for example, um, where we want to protect certain infrastructure pipes or or other infrastructure, for example, from water uh, water, uh, stresses. Or it could be longer term when we think about building a new bridge and elevating that bridge higher So it comes into play in both near-term and long-term conditions.
2: I mean, there has to be a method to this madness, right? I mean, that's the only way um, you're going to be able to... I wouldn't say you will completely uh, deflate all the risks of, of these complexities, but at least you will have a recognition of what you can control, what you cannot control, and what you can control, you do it. What you cannot control, you just uh, you know, transfer that risk by
1: insuring against it. If you really want to know how well your asset management programme is working, the best person to ask may well be an insurer.
0: When they come back with a quote, you'll know whether you've truly understood your asset.
1: Your insurance
2: premiums are a function of how well you understand the stuff that you can control and you cannot control. So a well-managed organization that can demonstrate and prove that they have a strategy that is aligned at the strategic level and the tactical level as an organization has a better chance of achieving favorable premiums and rates than one that cannot prove to the insurer that they have their act together.
1: For the municipal owners of the most vital, most complex assets, the bond rating agencies like Moody's and SMP will also make an assessment.
2: In the US, uh, for example, a lot of these municipal organizations, the way they raise debt in order to fund their capital projects is by issuing bonds. Now, there are bond rating agencies, right, sitting in, in New York, um, at on Wall Street, you have Moody's, you have Standard and Poor's. They're constantly uh, rating these bonds issued by these municipal organizations, and the interest rate that these organizations have to pay on those bonds, right? When they because raising a bond means you're just borrowing money from the markets, and there is a buyer on the other end of the bonds, right? And the buyer is going to be demanding a certain interest rate based on the rating of that bond.
0: Investors buy bonds because they are seen as safe. They're issued by municipalities, governments and the largest corporations with large asset bases to secure them against.
1: But even within that fairly certain form of investment, there will be different assessments made by different insurers.
0: And those assessments are again based on the robustness of asset owners' management plans.
1: One of the
2: factors of how bond rating agencies look, especially in the municipal bond area, is how well-managed is this particular uh, municipal organization. And the way you can demonstrate to them that we are a well-managed organization is by having a strategic asset management plan, a strategic asset management framework, and showing them that we understand our assets. We know what risks we are dealing with from an asset management perspective. We have plants. We have operations. Plants. We have maintenance strategies. We have capital strategies. We have risk mitigation strategies. Um, all of that ha- is is very well packaged and when understood to the best possible extent. And here's our here's how the way we intend to manage uh, our infrastructure.
1: Climate change is shaping the very geography of the planet. What was once a glacier becomes desert what was once a coast, can quickly turn into a swamp.
0: For asset management experts, just like real estate agents, three things matter most. Location, location, location.
3: One of the things we're starting to learn is when we look at the impact of some of these changes over longer and longer periods of time, once we build something, we'd like to think we're going to build it so it'll be there to stay for quite some time. And we're trying to build more sustainably um, today as well. So that means we want it to be there for even a longer period of time. So we need to get the location right from the first instance.
1: Donna and her team have developed a way to get the location of a new asset right from the first instance and well into the future.
0: It's called City Simulator,
3: It's a GIS-based tool, so fundamentally it's really focused on the spatial location of the asset, which we've already discussed, is really key. What City Simulator does is it simulates the growing city from present day up to, say, mid-century, so 40, 50 years out. And it hits your community over time with climate change influenced disasters like hurricanes, floods, storm surges, heat waves, droughts. And it measures how vulnerable your city or facility or road is to that disruption. How many work hours are lost, how many trips are interrupted, how much damage occurs to buildings.
1: Asset managers can use it in the same way that military planners use red team exercises, throwing simulated adversity at the system until they find a strategy that works.
3: And so it it takes all those factors in and you're able to then look at, well, if I moved the road or if I elevated the building, And rerun the simulation, can I decrease the number of work hours lost? Can I decrease the trips disrupted or decrease the damage? And you can do this in a virtual environment and rerun a number of different scenarios and different ways to look at reducing your risk and or improving your resiliency, therefore, um, without you know, the cost of actually implementing them yet. You can kind of do it in the computer first, figure out what works best, and then lay out your plans for the future from there. It is complex, but you start very basically with a digital twin. You build up the detailed model of the location, the roads, the water, um, the all the buildings, As much detail as you can, the better off you you are, and that's something you can add to over time. Um, It is simulation, so you can continue to add levels of detail on your base model and, and rerun your simulations.
0: As we saw during COVID, simple human factors, like how you work around a lack of toilet paper in the store, or how utility workers will get to a job site, can quickly devastate an asset's performance.
1: So it's vital that human behavior, as well as external events, is considered in the simulation.
3: And then you create a virtual population as well, and so that population—it's an agent-based model. So the individuals in that location are going to be going, you know, to and from work, um, and when they go to work, they're going to have an estimated production of, you know, of. Uh, uh, Productivity in the economy of that location and what um, We can do is look then at the movement of those people as we influence it with these weather disruptions and be able to see where they're impacted where they're affected and We run that simulation with the people On a daily loop so every day the simulations running and seeing how they're coming and going but then on an annual basis we're looking at this combination of downscaled global circulation models and historical weather data together to be able to simulate that weather pattern and the more detail you add into the model the the, you know the, the more trust you can have in its predictions
0: With those predictions at hand, asset owners can really start to think about the future.
1: They can site, design and build assets that are truly resilient.
0: And they can make sure their cost of service is just right for the level of service needed, whatever the risks an asset faces.
3: One would hope sometimes, you know, you want to move your assets to a different location. That's, you know, you may determine that Maybe where you're planning on building that facility or that road is not going to be economically feasible for long-term maintenance and it may cause you to look at a different location. In the case of existing infrastructure where you can't necessarily just pick it up and move it, the results of these studies can give rise to appropriate evidence that supports additional aid or grants um, uh, from the government in order to support making it more resilient for the simple fact that it supports evacuation or it supports, you know, economic stability. Um, So there's a lot of different reasons why an organization would want to consider long-term resilience planning. In their asset management program, it's not just to necessarily make it resilient when the weather hits, but really long-term, it's being able to fund the maintenance and or long-term sustainability of the infrastructure itself.
1: Engineering Matters is a production of Reby Media. This episode was written and produced by Will North, hosted by me, Johnny Dowling. My co-host was Rian Owen, sound engineering by Ross McPherson, series supervision by John Young, and the resilient asset that ensures our continued service levels is Rory Harris. Special thanks to our episode partner Atkins, a member of the SNC Lavelin group. And thank you for listening. You can find us on all podcast apps on our website, engineeringmatters.reby.media, on Twitter, on LinkedIn and now on Instagram. The Engineering Matters and Reby Media team have been working on a new podcast series in partnership with HS2. How to Build a Railway is a 12-part podcast series exploring the story behind the construction of the UK's new high-speed rail line. It's now available on all podcast apps, To learn more about HS2, go to hs2.org.uk